You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law Corporation, and again, co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko, is not much of a co-hostess because he ain't here again. So you just get me for this week's episode of Driving Law, but thankfully, that means you also get us uh, joined by an extra special guest this week we are talking to Rebecca Bretter. Rebecca is an animal lawyer. Uh, she is one of Canada's top 25 most influential lawyers named in 2019 and an all-around super nice badass, uh, former um, former guest on the This Is Van Color podcast with Mo. Um, so just generally a really, really cool person. But being an expert in animal law, Rebecca deals with cases specifically that have animals and particular um, where the animals, more likely than not, are her clients or her clients are individuals who are dealing with uh, issues related to animal rights issues. And so I thought I would have her on because we're about to enter the hot August long weekend and sort of the hottest part of the year. And it's a good time to think about what are our obligations when it comes to having our pets in our car and what are our obligations if we see an animal in distress in a vehicle with the windows rolled up or that looks like it's too hot? What must we do, if anything? And what are we permitted to do? And this is some of Rebecca's numerous areas of expertise. So she's going to join us on the podcast and tell us all about having hot animals in hot cars. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. I'm so excited you could join me because this is an issue that like I get asked about at this time of year every year and then I don't hear really have good answers for people and I don't hear people talking about it, um, which means mm-hmm. people don't get good answers. So yeah. first, first of all, as a dog owner, you and I are both dog owners, what are our obligations, legally speaking, when we're traveling in the summer with our pets in our cars? Our legal obligations towards our animals is first and foremost to make sure that they are okay, that they are safe, that they're not put in danger. Legally, there's a term called distress, so that means that an animal can't be left without food, water, proper shelter. Uh, It also now includes that the animal uh, can't be in a situation where the animal is either too hot or too cold. And so our obligation is to make sure that we don't put them in a situation where they could get into distress. So when we're traveling, that would mean that even if you want to go in to buy like a Slurpee at the 7-Eleven and you think you're only going to be a minute because you don't see any cars outside or, you know, no lineups inside and it's a sunny, beautiful, sunny day, do not, not leave your dog or any other animal for that matter in your car even if you think it's just going to be like oh a minute or two or I'm going to leave the window cracked open a bit it's not enough like it it would 
I invite people to sit in a car with windows closed, safely, of course, like do this safely, <laughs> for a minute or two, just yourself, without mm-hmm. any animals in, on a sunny day, especially in the, any time between May to the end of September and sometimes October, actually April, I would say April to the end of October. Sit in your car on a sunny day for as long as you can before you start feeling hot and you'll see that it doesn't take long like literally a couple of minutes depending on the temperature of course outside for it to get unbearably hot inside and of course animals can't speak i mean they can we can't understand them but that's topic for for another (laughs) conversation but they um they get hot really quickly as, as do we so we definitely should not be reading animals in cars even with the windows cracked open uh even for a couple of minutes and is there like a like a temperature range where you should start to not leave the animal in the car like is it you know 15 degrees or is there any science on this that you know of there is and don't quote me on the exact temperature but it's somewhere in the it's somewhere around 15 degrees celsius um, so anything, if the temperature is, 50, it's around 15, I, I can't remember exactly now, but if it's, and I would say on to err on the side of caution, like anything above 12 degrees Celsius, do not leave your, your animal in the car on a sunny day. And the thing is, though, especially in Vancouver and areas like Vancouver, where it looks like it's cloudy, but within minutes, the sun could poke through the clouds a bit, or the clouds could could um, uh, could move. It, it just it really doesn't take long for the car to get hot. And what type you of just don't? What type of consequences could you face if you leave your animal in the car when it's hot out? Well, worst case scenario is uh, a, a police officer who cares enough for a. BC special BCSBCA special constable officer comes around and you could be arrested for animal cruelty both under the criminal law and our provincial animal cruelty laws in BC that's a worst case scenario usually what happens though is people get uh, people get fines or or warnings depending on the situation but you know I, I think that um, if people really start getting stupid like that, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if police officers finally put their foot down and start, uh, start charging people with animal cruelty, as they should, as they should. Right. And what, when it comes to, like, you being a person outside a vehicle, if you're out in the public and you see an animal in a car, what obligations do you have to do something about it? If any. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great question. I often get asked, well, if I see a car, I mean, if I see a dog in a car with closed windows and the, and the dog looks hot and there's no owner in sight, what do I do? Can I smash the window? You know, unfortunately, I mean, I, I say unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, uh, people are not allowed to smash windows of other people's cars or to break into cars to to let the dogs out that's really? the starting point so you You're can't save an animal 
Well, technically no, but I mean, there's always a bit of a gray zone. So what, um, and I've heard the police just recently say, uh, it was in one of their ads on, on the radio, saying that, no, you're not allowed doing that unless the animal is critically in distress. So like, what does that mean? Right? Does that mean that if you believe that the animal is about to die, that you're allowed smashing the window? The messaging was a bit unclear from, uh, from I think this was the, the Vancouver police um, saying something like this on the radio. But, I mean, the starting point is, no, you can't smash a, a window in. But uh, there are things that you can do. So very often people do leave uh, a little bit of a window open, which, again, is certainly not enough if you have by any chance a towel with you <laughs> I, I don't know too many people are carrying around towels with them but you never know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have, like, you're on your way back from the beach <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um but i mean one suggestion this was uh the spca suggestion recently that i thought was a good idea again if you have one handy if you have a towel handy and you have water handy to soak um the towel and somehow put the towel in, squeeze it through the, the, the window and put it into the car so that the animal could cool down. Um, or if you could see, the other suggestion is, I mean, just see if the car is unlocked. If the car is unlocked, open the door. Mm -hmm. Technically, I mean, I, I suppose that's, uh, that may be trespassing onto someone's property, but again, I've seen the police say that you can do this. That I guess because you're not damaging someone's property, even though you're technically trespassing, but if you could open the car door to let the animal out, make sure that you have a handle on the animal so that the animal doesn't run across the street and get run over. Right. Um, but um, What about if, reaching in and unlocking the door? Is that then breaking and entering? I mean, well, this is me, I think a criminal lawyer, asking you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think technically it is, but yeah. I would say if you can do that, then do that. Because ultimately, if you could save an animal's life, then do so. You know, some of the signs for, for looking, I mean, I know that we're not veterinarians, but um, some of the signs for, for seeing if a dog really is suffering or is about to really suffer is see if the dog is panting a lot. I don't mean just like a little bit, but you could see some exaggeration in the panting. Mm -hmm. um, see if the animal is looking very anxious, like... It keeps going around in circles or going from one window to another really quickly. Um, if the animal is vomiting or if the animal um, has uh, just kind of dropped and almost looked like he dropped dead, that's a critical state. Um, you know, in, in that in that case, I mean, is it okay to smash the window? I mean, that's, that's tricky. I mean, I guess I'm certainly not going to advise people to break the law. But at the same time, if, I guess, someone who's in that position and it's clear to them that the dog is suffering and uh, and is uh, hyperventilating and is certainly in distress because of being in a hot car, they had, the person has to ask themselves, okay, the risk of me uh, smashing the window, breaking into someone's property is that I may be charged with that. But on the other hand, I will most likely be able to save this animal's life. So the person has to ask themselves, is it worth getting a potentially a criminal record for that? Right. So that's something that people have to consider. Again, not that I'm advising people to do something illegal, <laughs> but the reality is, is that and practically speaking, that's what people off the 
can be thinking to themselves. You know, the other thing is um, we sometimes think that um, that there's absolutely nothing that we could do, but if the animal seems okay and if the, the person is parked in front of the store, and I've certainly done this, I've been that crazy lady running into the store demanding to speak to the manager so that they could get onto the um, to the to the store speakers to make make note of the car model and the license plate and all that, and so that the person is called to the front and they get called out to the to the car. Right. Well, that's good. That's an easy. That's way. a good suggestion. Can you call nine one one? Yes, yes, definitely. You could call nine one one. You could call the SPCA, and the SPCA actually has um, a, a kind of like a dogs and hot cars hotline, and it's one one eight five five six two two seven seven two two. One eight five five six two two seven seven two two. Yes, Easy yeah, that's the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the SPCA hotline. Um, or, of course, you could call the police, the 911. But, you know, by the time they get there, it may be a bit too late. So, really, it comes down to people using their best judgment. And what about um, the, like, there's yeah. an offense for permitting a an animal to be in distress. Could you be charged with that if you see an animal that's obviously in distress and you don't do anything? Uh a good question. I mean, I highly doubt it because you're not the one who allowed to do that. The person who is a, who permitted the animal to be in distress was the one who actually left the animal in the car. Because right. technically, I mean, I can't see how someone would, someone standing outside of a car um, with an animal in distress, it would be essentially forcing them to do something illegal right. in order to get the animal out of distress. So, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um but I think the short answer is no, you can't, you cannot be charged with animal cruelty for seeing an animal in a hot car and not doing anything about it because you don't have a legal obligation to do anything about it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, so what about your, um, your rights? Like, um, mm. so we've talked about your obligation. What about your rights? Like beyond breaking the window and calling 911, do you have any rights like civilly, um, against dog owners? Like, can there, is there action you can take to take an animal away from somebody? Um, so you mean if, uh, if let's say you saw another dog in a hot car like what your yeah. rights are or do you mean the dog owner who the, your, the dog owner who left his <laughs> sorry yeah my, my question was not very clear yeah <laughs> you're right so somebody who sees this like can you take further action like if you do get the owner and the owner's like nonchalant ah he would have been fine is there a way that you can get the dog like, checked oh, yeah. up on or seized from him yeah, you know what? I wish I could say that that there was a good way, but unfortunately, with the way our laws are now, the, the best thing—I mean, really, the only thing that someone could really do is report that person to the SPCA. And 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 I would encourage people to report them to the SPCA. Then it's question for uh, the SPCA whether they're going to recommend any charges. But um, you have to make sure that you were the one to have witnessed the animal in distress. So if a friend tells you that they saw the animal in a hot car, that wouldn't be enough uh, grounds for you to call the SPCA because the SPCA needs direct evidence in order to pursue charges of animal cruelty. And other than that, that's really the only legal option because if you want to sue someone else, so let's say you, Kyla, you saw some idiot leave their 
dog in in a hot car and the dog unfortunately died oh my god I'd you be don't so have traumatized. any well, yeah you were traumatized yeah i mean well for one i mean that other person doesn't owe you any duty of care right right but i mean i guess there there is a, a tort of um of uh, intentional infliction of mental distress, but I think it would be pretty, honestly, I think it would be pretty hard to prove that, like, because there's still no connection between, no direct connection between you and that person, presumably. But who knows? I mean, (laughs) I guess it depends on the circumstances, but it would be, I I mean, I do think it would be a bit of a, a far stretch to to sue someone civilly for leaving their their dog in a hot car especially if you have absolutely no relationship to them now if it's let's say your ex-partner who is a bit of an a-hole and wanted to get back at you and did that have you met him (laughs) yes Oh gosh, I hope that's not true. Um, and so, and that a-hole ex-partner wants to get back at you, then I would say yes, then you would have some civil grounds to sue him. But assuming it's a complete stranger, then no, you can't just sue them. Now, do these same rules apply to, like, farm animals or animals that are being transported to slaughter? Oh, that's so sad. Um, uh, no, they're... There are, that whole topic with the way farmed animals are treated during transport is, is terrible because there aren't any, any laws. There are literally no laws or regulations that govern the temperature at which animals can be transported. Mm-hmm. Um, there are guidelines that supposedly transporters have to follow, but again, those aren't laws. They're not legally enforceable. Um, you've heard of, of animal rights protesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, holding vigils by transport trucks, and unfortunately, one died recently uh, while doing that. She was killed by transport trucks. Um, you you don't actually technically have the right to give them water yeah. because that could be interfering with with quote unquote property. But a lot of them do, and they get away with it, and and that's thanks to the cooperation of some of the slaughterhouses and truck drivers who who let them do that. But um, no, that's that's a whole other that's a whole other area. So there's there's like a spectrum then where you have you know the typical household pets like dogs and cats that you might see in cars, and then you've got animals on their way to slaughter. There's right. a middle there, sort of with like horses that are being transported for like horsey events. My sister does these things. Yeah, <laughs> she goes yeah. around and rides her horse in shows. <laughs> I don't know what they're right. called, but. Wait. Yeah. Where where do those horses fall on this spectrum? Um, they would probably be closer to companion animals than if they're used for uh, for horse riding and for shows and things like that. They would be closer to the companion animal spectrum than farmed animal spectrum. So, you see that the main difference being that if you see a dog or a cat um, in a hot car. You can call the police and you have the expectation that the police are going to come and they're going to uh, to get the dog out of the car or cat out of the car and they could technically charge the person who left the animal in the car with animal cruelty. But for farmed animals, um, if someone calls the police because they see that pigs 
pigs or chickens or whatever other animal are being cramped and are hyperventilating and clearly in distress, the the police, you, you cannot and should not have any expectation that the police are going to do anything about it because there's nothing illegal that's happening there, unfortunately. Wow. So there's a huge, huge disconnect. Okay. Yeah. How can people reach you if they want to hire you for an animal-related issue or consult with you about something to do with animals? How can they contact you? Oh, well, thank you for asking. They can go to breederlaw.com. Breeder is B-R-E-D-E-R, law.com. Not breeder. I often get breeder. <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I, call, I get called Rebecca Breeder all the time. That would be an unfortunate name for an animal. <laughs> yeah, I'm a breeder. <laughs> I know. I know. But I always chuckle, especially when judges do it. It's pretty funny. But no, breederlaw.com. Perfect. And, uh, all, all the contact info is there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast. We really, really appreciate you shedding light on all of this because it's something, like I said, we get a lot of questions about. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for covering this important topic. Hello, and thank you to Grant Gottgatrue for also agreeing to join us this week on the podcast. He's apparently told me that he's already had alcohol, so Grant, starting early. (laughs) Well, it's it's sunny. It's, this is the time to drink. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk to you because as I was lying awake in bed last night, worrying about the world and my life, I thought about you. And I thought about oh. a discussion you and I were having earlier this week about wearing masks because we were at court together and I was yeah. wearing a mask. And then I thought about what happens if you, like, are at a roadblock and a police officer asks you to take off your mask? What What are the rules surrounding that? So I thought I'd get you to join us on the podcast to talk about obstruction, showing your face, and policing. What an interesting topic. Right? And I thought well, I'd ambush course, you with it. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Well, yeah, I had no idea, which is great because... I mean, we're in a we're in a unique set of circumstances right now with the zombie apocalypse going on. So it's almost like, what are the rules? Everything's kind of up in the air right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some of the officers are practicing social distancing while they're conducting road checks. So um, I don't know if you've noticed an increase in mandatory um, alcohol screening demands. I have. Performing, yeah, because some officers are just like, oh, I'm not going to get close enough, so they just read the the mandatory demand. And um, but I think it's like anything else. Uh, if, if it's in, the, I mean, this is obviously something to be argued in in the courts by yourself. Um, but uh, someone pulls up to a roadblock. Uh, I mean, I, I, if the police are conducting a lawful investigation. And they read a demand, and, uh, and the person says, well, I'm not blowing because I'm not taking my mask off. Mm-hmm. You know, well, like, what's reasonable? Well, this right? is the thing. I mean, I think that <clears throat> as far as, like, pulling up to a roadblock or being stopped by police yep. and asked to produce your identification, if yes. you produce your driver's license and they say, okay, take your mask off so I can see if you match your photo, I yes. think... That's not required. I think that that's a, a demand that you can choose to refuse to comply with. 
I, I guess if it satisfies, I mean, what are the requirements to satisfy Shriver's? Well, it's your pr- producing the license, bearing the name that you say is your name, right? That's Shriver's yeah. was all he did. And the, yeah, and the li- it, 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 so what's the rules regarding comparing the likeliness on the photo and that of the driver? Well, you don't have to do that, right? We get all these investigations that take place where the driver doesn't yeah. have their license on them or where they've only got That's a paper right. license or they're prohibited. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So I, I think as far as just the production of the license and the identification piece, you definitely can't be compelled to remove your mask. Yeah, and I think the concern with that is I don't think the frontline workers out there know the requirements of Shriver, of the Shriver's case, you know, that, you know, because we always say it in court, we, I compared the photograph and that of Mr. Smuck, and I was satisfied I was dealing with the same person. So now you've got a situation where the person isn't, that they don't want to take their mask off uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, I could see that potentially escalating. Well, yeah. And then, you know, you arrest somebody for obstruction. Once they're arrested and perhaps taken back to the detachment, then there's the whole booking in process, right? Where you have the photo being taken at that point in time. And I think in the photographing process under the Identification of Criminals Act, you do have a right to compel the driver or compel the detainee to take their mask off. Yes. Well, it's like, you know, when I would pull over someone with a full face helmet on, I would ask them to take their helmet off so I can compare their driver, their, their, you know, and no one argued it. They never said, oh, it's awful, you know, no, forget you, you know, they just would do it. So. Well, maybe they shouldn't have. Well, yeah, but then there's also what's, you know, what's the reason, is it reasonable? You know, are you going to, is this the hill you're going to die on, right? You know, because there are some officers that are going to be, this could escalate into quite a significant potential uh, use of force situation if the person decides that they're going to be, no, I'm not taking my mask off, and now it just goes sideways from there. And really, do we need that much drama right now? Well, I guess my question for you is, with your experience as a former police officer, thinking back, what would you have done in this situation? Oh, well, I, I, I had the velvet tongue. <laughs> I would, I, I, you know, I, I, having the ability to convince someone that, you know, like not in a, in a charter breach area, like I'm not going to convince someone to give me a statement when I haven't given them the charter. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But it, it, in something like this, when you're dealing with someone roadside, um, there are some officers that are that have really good verbal judo skills. Mm-hmm. And there's some other officers that are just awful. But would you have arrested somebody if if they had refused? You put no, yourself in that position, right? Yeah. You've made the demand and they've refused. What would you have done next? Oh, well, then, the, you, then and I've done that before, not with masks, obviously, because, again, as I said, this is a unique set of circumstances right now. But if a person is, is you know, being a little bit confrontational or not wanting to identify themselves or whatever, there's the obstruction warning. You give the obstruction warning. And the few times where I've had to give the obstruction warning roadside, it's they've complied. So you you would have considered it obstruction if you had, you know, you'd gotten the license, you were doing the questioning and you'd said, okay, take your mask off and they refused. You would have considered it obstruction. I think I, I think most officers would because 
the, the, the whole thing with Shrivers is confirming that the person that you're dealing with is the same person on the driver's license. But is it and necessary anybody... to your investigation to have them to compare the photo? Because you well, would... I guess it depends. It depends on what point you are in it. I mean, if you pull up to a road check, you know, like when I did a road check, I didn't ask the officers. Uh, sorry, I didn't ask the driver to produce their driver's license. I just asked if they had consumed any alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, but what I'm if sure you're some... what if you're conducting a traffic stop for a moving violation? You're going to ticket them for excessive speeding. You've issued a few of those tickets. Oh, a few of those. <laughs> so you're ticketing them for excessive speeding. You ask them to produce their license. Yes. You ask them the identity questions, name and address, and date of yeah. birth, name yeah, address and, of the registered owner. Yeah. So why and, and... why why do you need to see their face? Because anybody could give me the name of Joe Smith. It doesn't take, because I've had that happen before too. I've had that where people have given me a complete bullshit name or, or they've memorized the name of their buddy or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy. And I've had people produce, you know, the driver's license of their friend. <clears throat> so, so it's easy for me to, you know, if I get pulled over and, and I've got a mask on and I have Paul Doroshenko's driver's license with me, right? And I say, oh, yeah, I'm Paul Doroshenko, and I was born in 1930 or whenever the hell he was born. <laughs> a lot earlier and, than uh, that. <laughs> I know. Um, he'll be happy with that. Um, then it's like, oh, okay, that's fair. And then what happens is Paul Doroshenko shows up to the office a week later and goes, yeah, uh, I got this ticket, and it wasn't me. Right. I, I appreciate that. But there's other ways to identify people. Like, if, if what if, you know, the guy you've pulled over who's not wearing a mask doesn't have his license on him? You still have yep. a way of figuring out his identity without comparing oh, the photo. Of course. Oh, so, absolutely. So why the keyword yeah, exactly? Yeah. So why does it become obstruction? This is what I'm asking you. Why does it become well, obstruction just because he's wearing a mask and is in possession of a photographic identity identity document? It depends on how the conversation is going, and it depends on what what is the the basis of the pr- requesting the driver's license. Now, I mean, as you know as well as I do, you know, in a road check, you get stopped by the police, you can be asked to produce a driver's license to make sure you have a valid driver's license. Right, but that doesn't right? that doesn't necessarily mean you have to produce one with a photo. You could produce an interim license. You can produce an interim photo, absolutely, absolutely. But I think, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying, because people produce, they don't produce any driver's license. They left it at home. They have a, a yellow interim license. There's something with no photo on them. But if there's... Um, but if the person has a photo driver's license they've produced, it's just super easy to go, well, you know, move your mask and let's just make sure it's you. Yeah, you're, cause you're absolutely right. There's no, there's no requirement because they could not have their driver's license on them. And then you have to find other ways. Well, then legally uh, speaking, you could not read the obstruction warning. Well, I, I, I'm just saying that I could see it going that way with some officers who may be unsure of uh of their lawful authority right but i mean i think there's potential for that informing the public through this podcast i think my position would be that you don't have to take your mask off unless you're being arrested for an offense yes and that's yeah and and that's a yes and that's a fair position for you to have but my possession is my position is let's just avoid confrontation (laughs) because even if you're unlawfully arrested and you decide to sue, you're not going to get millions of dollars like you would in the States. No. Right? But... 
So what if you caught like, coronavirus from the officer? Well, the office they're they're well. I mean, they're certainly checked and they're certainly ordered to stay home if they. I mean, they know the rules. Like you don't have, you know, you know the rules. <laughs> you got to stay home if they're sick. And believe you me, I know police officers. If we have even just a sniffle, we stay home. Right. When we're sick, because we have good sick time. Right. Okay. Well, now let but, me ask no, you I, this. But, yeah, go ahead. Go Second ahead. question. Removing your mask to blow. I get it. Obviously, you have to make your mouth available. But do you have to take the mask completely off, or can you just lift it up to insert the mouthpiece into your mouth? Or lift it down o- over your chin. Well, down over your well, chin. But, I mean, can you continue to cover your nose? As long as you're able to provide a, a sample that's suitable, then why not? So you don't think it can be used as a backdoor by a police officer to get a person to completely expose their face? Uh, again, I have no idea. I've seen some really bizarre techniques by some officers when it comes to the Ways and Means Act for getting a sample into a you know uh, into an ASD and and and. And to get to the you know mental gymnastics to read the demand and whatnot before the mandatory demand was on the books. Um, but um, yeah, like for me, I'm like I don't like confrontation, right? So it's like try to avoid as much confrontation as you can, because if you get into a confrontation with the police, the person that's always going to lose is the person is the citizen. They're mm-hmm. going to end up going to jail, or they're going to have to hire a lawyer, or they're going to have to go to court. And it's just a pain in the ass, right? So, but I get your point as well from a, a from from the, uh, uh, the the lawyer side of it for sure, because you want to protect, you know, person's rights, and, and I totally get that as well. Uh, I don't think there's a requirement to take the mask off to provide a sample, but you're saying would they t- take the, would they use that then to identify the person? Yeah, to identify the person or to get some other evidence, right? Like, your mask is also protecting you. It's keeping the officer from searching your exhaled breath for an odor of liquor, which maybe, you know, they don't need to make the demand because they have a mandatory demand, but might be some right. relevant evidence of impairment when viewed with the collective whole of the rest of the evidence that's gathered in the course of the investigation. Yeah, in other words, it's a fail reading. Well, I, I don't I don't know if you... Have you seen any uh, mandatory demand fails that have gone criminal? I have, yes. I have a couple that I've found. Oh, okay. And, and how have those gone? Well, they're all waiting for trial. Oh, of course they are. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm just going to plead the clients out, Grant? No, 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 no. I didn't know how far they'd gone in the process yet because, of course, mandatory has been on the book since, I think, December 2018. Yep. But, you know, so, it takes a while to get to trial. It's true. The system is slow. Yes. Which we know. So the question is then, yeah, of course. No, I totally get what you're saying. All right. So you agree then? Have I persuaded you of my, of my opinion? Don't remove your mask unless you're under arrest. Well, uh, I, I think that that could potentially create a problem for the, driver. I mean, there are some people out there that don't like the cops anyways, and they're going to look for any opportunity to get into a confrontation, and I get that, right? 
but I'm like, try to avoid it as much as you can, right? It's it, like, it, like I said, is this the hill as a motorist? Is this the hill you want to die on, right? Is this the battle you want to fight? Is it easier to, you know, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar? All these things that my mom taught me, right? So I do see your point, but I think because there's confusion on the requirements of Shrivers, mm-hmm. I think because most officers, I, I, I truly believe most officers believe Shrivers is comparing the photo on the driver's license and that of the driver. And because of that, that could create a situation um, that could go sideways for everybody involved, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So, but you know, you're gonna also have some motorists out there who are absolutely, I'm not taking my mask off because, you know, the sky is falling and, and, and if I take my mask off, then I'm gonna get the black plague and everything else. And you know what, if that's, then that officer is going to have to deal with that and kind of go, okay, now what the hell do I do? Have you had anything to drink tonight? No, okay, then carry on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Um, well, it's very interesting. But, this whole mask thing, I think, is going to complicate impaired driving investigations in ways we haven't seen yet and in ways that our courts are going to have to sort out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I just think, like, from my perspective is, you know, um, what you're saying makes sense, but then there's the other side, which is, you know, we want to make sure that everybody's safe, the police and the driver. And if we can get into a situation where we can avoid confrontation, unnecessary confrontation, I think that's better for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. But if you ever get a client that's charged with obstruction, I'd be really curious to see what happens. Yeah, well, me too. <laughs> so I guess if you're <laughs> charged with obstruction for refusing to remove your mask, give us a call and uh, help us settle our debate. <laughs> Thank for you, sure. Grant, for taking time oh, out of your uh, oh, my pleasure. evening to join Thank me on the podcast. Me. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. You threw me a curveball, so that's good. Yeah, well, you know, I like to keep you on your toes. Um, and if people need to reach you, they can reach out to me at Acumen Law, and I will put you in touch with Grant Cockatrue. Thank you so much, Kyla. Okay, bye. Bye for now. Thank you again to Grant Gokatrue for joining us on the podcast to talk about the interesting question of masks and obstruction. And it's not entirely clear what is obstruction and what isn't. And the law really hasn't had a situation yet where people have had to deal with wearing a mask. I mean, perhaps maybe outside um outside Halloween or or some type of mask-related event. Um, but even then, I think, you know, we have a very different situation involving the pandemic where people are actually um, wearing masks for the purposes of protecting their health and their safety. And one more thing you have to bear in mind, of course, is that your mask is consistent with your charter right to life, liberty, and security of the person. And if your security of the person is threatened by the fact that you're being demanded to remove a mask by an officer who has no legal justification for having you remove it and who hasn't balanced the risks of you taking the mask off against the risks of you not doing so, you could have a decent argument um, that your Section 7 charter rights were violated. So a lot of interesting ways that masks are going to play out in driving investigations. And that's why we have a driving law podcast. And now it's time for my favorite moment of the week, the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. 
And this one, you're going to have to Google. It's on GT Nation, GrandTourNation.com. Uh, it was posted by Alex Harrington. Um, and it's a video that is insane of a vehicle flying, literally flying through the air at a high rate of speed before slamming into the rear corner of a Tesla Model X. And then the Tesla takes flight as well. So it's pretty, it's an intense video. Um, and it's not super clear what happened leading up to this, but essentially it looks like this white car, this flying car is trying to speed up to get ahead of somebody so that it can merge, um, gets pushed to the right, hits a barrier and launches from that point on. Um, and apparently the injuries are not that significant. Um, the, the driver threw, flew through the windshield and received cuts, but no reports yet that they've, uh, that they've died. But honestly, I mean, I can't do this video justice by describing it to you. You're just going to have to, uh, watch it for yourself. But it, you know, it's an interesting thing. Paul and I are normally discussing these ridiculous drivers, but merging is always one thing that just gets me because it's so inherently dangerous. But other vehicles don't make space, don't allow room to merge, and try and cut people off when they're attempting to merge. And these are the types of horrific consequences that you can see from that. So I would say that if this was a failure of the merge system to allow the white car to properly and safely merge, if a car was blocking it by not moving into the other lane or not adjusting their pace to give them room to merge, the ridiculous driver is not the flying white car. But, in fact, the car who prevented the flying white car from safely merging. So, don't be a ridiculous driver. Don't end up on this podcast, even if your car is not depicted on a video. Do not do it. Drive safely. Give people room to merge. And if you have any driving law questions, give us a call at Vancouver Criminal Law, uh, our website, vancouvercriminallaw.com, or on the phone 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.